Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, managing editor, FightfulMMA.com. Remember, subscribe to us on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash FightfulMMAboxing, where these shows run live. It is the Fightful MMA podcast. If you missed out, I did a full show after UFC 235. James Lynch was there on the scene. He did a wrap-up as well. But right now, he's in Mexico. So you got myself and Showdown Joe. Joe, how you doing? What's up, man? Everything's going good, man. Just doing my thing. Missing James. I wonder what he's actually doing down there, but I digress. Hey, we, we raised some questions. Fightful <laughs> smuggling, maybe? And it's, well, I'll tell you one thing that uh, put a damper on an otherwise solid week. We got news that Mirko Krokop had suffered a stroke following his fight with Roy Nelson and subsequently retired. You and I had speculated on this show many times that likely the fatal rematch would be his swan song. And this is a guy who provided us with no shortage of memories, but Mirko Krokop has been advised to not take any more shots to the head. This is sad. We thought that he was going to go a couple times, but it looks like this will be, this is it. Well, yeah. I mean, after you have a stroke, I think that's pretty much the basics there. I've, I've seen fighters before a long time ago when I was with uh, Apex uh, Championship fighting. Um, a gentleman, I think his name was Stefan Potvin, uh, had a amazing future. I mean, he was a training partner, I think, of George St. Pierre, if I'm not mistaken, or, or was on the same lineage and took a shot to the neck from Luigi Fioravanti. Like the, the, the punch missed his neck, hit him in the, th- in the uh, left side of his throat. Uh, and I believe he had a stroke in the fight. Um, and it, he was okay. He continued, but after speaking with the doctors, that was the end of his career. Uh, you know, and, but Mirko Krokop, for example, has had an absolutely masterful career. Uh, people can say what they want about, you know, going back to Japan and all that stuff there. But the bottom line is, like you said, he gave us a ton of memories. Uh, and I, I was just completely and utterly blessed, not just to meet him numerous times and interview him and hang out with him, uh, but to be able to call his fights, especially that run he had uh, in the Ryzen Heavyweight Grand Prix and emerging victorious with that, shocking everybody. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 sad news. It would have been much, much nicer, uh, like you said, for that swan song because he was chasing Fedor. I mean, I think I made that pretty clear in a lot of these broadcasts that he was definitely chasing Fedor. That was, he wanted that one to be uh, his last fight ever. Uh, unfortunately... Not going to happen. Now, he debuted in MMA in August 2001. He was, a, he was a fixture in Pride especially, but he made his debut uh, in K1. He fought Fujita. He would go on to fight Fujita uh, again later on. How much had his kickboxing reputation preceded him by the time you found out who he was in MMA? Were you aware of him outside of that? He had a boxing career and a kickboxing career uh, well before that, that uh, where he competed in K1. Truth be told, no. 
No, I knew a little bit about him. Uh, I knew that his striking background because back then uh, with MMA the way it was and, and Pride was the big dog, the UFC was not. Uh, a lot of our focus was on Pride and we were just looking forward to who would they would like, who are these guys that they're bringing in? Uh, if you remember Igor of Chanchin, no one had heard of him. And then he steps into the ring and starts causing crazy havoc in the heavyweight division. So uh, when Krokop first made his debut, I vividly remember knowing that he's got a kickboxing background. But to me, I was such a jujitsu guy back then. Like I had a boxing and kickboxing background before I got into jujitsu uh, and a little bit of wrestling. But to me, it was all about what do you bring to the fight? You know, you can bring your your A style, which is your kickboxing, but how is it going to translate to MMA? And it translated pretty damn well. You want to talk about a run outside of that Michael McDonald fight in K one in the world uh, at the World GP two thousand one? He had an insane two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three, leading up to that Noguera loss. He beat Peter Ertz. He he just went on this this wild streak of beating like Remy Bojanski and Bob Sapp and. Uh, uh, I think Mark Hunt in kickboxing, and he also beat Sakuraba. He had the fight yeah. with, with Vanderlei Silva. He beat Heath Herring. He beat Fujita again. He beat Igor again. He uh, had the infamous knockout over the eventual WWE champion uh, Alberto Del Rio, who was Dos Caras Jr. the the masked man head kick, which yeah. Chael Sonnen kind of suggested that. Well, Krokop didn't know it was a work, but Dos Caras did, and. Alberto Del Rio has told us in recent years, I wish it was, <laughs> but uh, yeah. that, that was quite a way to establish yourself. This is what got me into MMA again, Joe. I always joke about UFC 5 and about how I saw John Hess on that videotape. I didn't watch a lot of UFC after that. My cousin brought, or he ordered this pay-per-view on DirecTV, and he was like, you have to watch this. These are real fights. And these guys are doing finishing moves like pro wrestlers. Like this, this guy has a move that finishes everybody. This other guy is power bombing people and power slamming people and it's finishing them. And I was like, what, what is it that, that can happen? I didn't yeah. know anything, but big John Hess. So to see Mirko Krokop and that, that technical supremacy in which he possessed and how he was able to throw that. He even had a catchphrase, Joe, mm-hmm. he even had a catchphrase. I didn't understand him when he talked. But he had a catchphrase, Joe. He beat uh, Josh Barnett and Kevin Randleman and Mark Coleman. I I can't tell you how instrumental this guy was to my fandom of MMA. If there's no Crow Cop, I don't know if I'm doing this podcast with you right now. Like, it's it's amazing. And he was integral to Pride at that point, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, He was part of the big dog. I mean, all all those Grand Prix that they had with Fedor and Big Nog uh, and whatnot, you just never knew who was going to make it to the finale. Uh, or the finals uh, every single New Year's Eve show. So uh, he he was something else. I mean, I remember when he eventually came to the UFC and how guarded he was. And I was lucky enough, uh, and I've said it before, I, I always thank uh, Jen Wank, who was the PR co- coordinator uh, or director of PR before Dave Schaller. Uh, she was the one that granted me the only interview Krokop was going to do with any media. And this was in Vancouver. And, and you know, it, it was mostly part of it luck, obviously being the broadcast partner of the UFC back then. Uh, and having built my reputation, you know, sort of like how James Lynch is right now, when you're respected, you know, the, the fighters will give you a chance. And I remember Fedor's first one or two answers were so reserved. Uh, and then afterwards, he opened up and, and, you know, answered the questions very, very succinctly. Uh, and then after the interview, you know, said thank you, walked away and then came back and said, thank you very much for those questions. They were legit questions. They weren't, you know, they weren't rude. They weren't mean that you, you didn't put me on the spot. I said, it's never my intention to do that. Uh, I'm going to ask you, you know, what's out there right now. 
Uh, but I want to know more. I mean, I, I, I ask my questions not only on behalf of the media, but for the fans as well, because there's a lot of things that we all want to know. So he was very happy with that interview. And then I translated back when I over when I got to Ryzen and, and you know, Trig and I and whatnot and whomever, whether it was Heath Herring uh, or whoever was working the shows, every time, you know, Miracle would come over to our uh, to the second floor uh, of the Hyatt where we do our interviews. He was smiling ear to ear and it was always a different fader. Now he's also, Sean, he got older and more mature yeah. and realized that, you know, that you don't have to be so serious in life uh, and whatnot. But uh, it was a different cat altogether. And it was just amazing to, to you know, again, I, I might be in my mid 40s right now. I'm still a fanboy when I was 25, 22, or, uh, you know, in 1993 when the UFC first came out and pride in its heyday in the late 90s. Um, I, I, I'm still in awe sometimes that I get to do what I do. And you, you see one of those legends and those guys like Krokop, you're just kind of like, man, I remember just like when I was a nobody at a bar in, in midtown Toronto, trying to find out if someone's going to be showing pride somewhere and being able to watch this guy to get into VHS copies and watching it over and over. Yeah. I said VHS. I probably have some, you know what? I'm going to use my feet real quick because people will probably laugh. But <laughs> I've got a ton. I don't know if you can see that. Wow. A ton of VHSs that I have. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, Sean. Hey, that, that's what we had the Pride pay-per-view yeah. recorded on. We we still, as of 15 years ago, we were still using VHS. Yeah. What, yeah, and, and I remember watching Liddell Couture over at a friend's house. But aside from that, I wasn't that big into UFC going into 2007. Uh, that that same cousin would say, hey, while you're online, why don't you check the results of this Pride show for me? And I was like, all right. And I would try to track down when, when WWE wrestlers would go over to MMA, how they would do. But then UFC 67 happened, Joe. And you look back, and looking back, it's amazing. Anderson Silva, Crow Cop, Rampage Jackson, Frankie Edgar, Lyoto Machida, GSP, was actually scheduled for that show to fight Sarah as well, but they had to postpone that fight about a month ahead of time. Uh, The Anderson Silva title fight fell out, and that didn't feel like the main event. Anderson Silva didn't feel like the main event that night to me. No. Mirko Krokop and Rampage Jackson being on those shows in, by all intents and purposes, Joe, what we call in pro wrestling enhancement matches. You yeah. know, where, where they put them against people that probably aren't on their level. Now, granted, Marvin Eastman had beaten Rampage Jackson before. But Eddie Sanchez, I don't know anybody that was picking him to win that fight. And uh, to be fair, he was undefeated. He was 6-0. He had just won a fight um, the, prior, uh, uh, the prior year in the UFC. But nobody was picking him to win that fight. Krokop beat him, and he was immediately launched into a heavyweight title eliminator with Gabriel Gonzaga. Yeah. And then we get what is one of the biggest upsets, at, at that point at least, in the history of MMA. Mirko Krokop gets head kicked with, quite frankly, not a very good technical kick. There was no turning of the hips. He got caught with the ankle on top of the head. He's folded like a lawn chair. Uh, like Not like a lawn chair. Lawn chairs fold correctly. His ankle <laughs> went behind his back. Uh, I can't remember who the ref was, but great awareness on the ref to unfold the leg and all that. What went through your mind when you saw that? I, I, it was, well, first it was the elbows. Remember the elbows that were, that he was enduring on the ground, right? Like, I mean, he was yeah. just taking a beating and you know, he was wobbly, but then nobody saw the finishing move that Krokop uses on all his opponents by the very opponent who is not really known for his kicks. And like you said, isn't technically sound when he throws them. 
So when he landed the kick and he comp- and, and Krokop completely folded, I remember just being, uh, it was like, a, a, you know, when you realize it's a moment in time, everything freezes for that second or so. And you're just like, what in the blue moon just happened? Holy smokes, this is insane. What, and you realize where you were at the time when you when it, when when this crazy thing just happened. So it was insane. It was it, it, it kind of blew my mind away, but it also opened up my eyes again. Uh, and you get these examples every so often that anybody can win a fight at any time. You know, you can never prejudge two men or women stepping into a cage or ring and think this is what's going to happen. We can break it down, but they got to get in there and fight and anything can happen and that was another proof with Gonzaga winning that fight that anything can happen and sometimes in dramatic fashion things didn't get a lot better there was that fight with Chet Congo and Krokop was out of the UFC just a mere nine months after he he was in the UFC he was gone and I thought that might have been it he went over to uh, Japan had three fights in 2008 he Famously just chopped down Hongman Choi. He got kneed in the balls by Overeem. Uh, won at Dream 1, but not not a lot to that. But then he brought, came back to the UFC, and he had a good little run. He, had, he won three of four fights, lost to Junior Dos Santos. That's going to happen. And then he had some real bad, underwhelming fights. Not just bad, underwhelming fights, but fights that were really bad. Then he would get finished at the end of those really bad fights. So it's bad enough that they're they're terrible, but then when you, you get put away at the end of terrible fights, Mir, Schaub, Nelson, did you think we had seen the last of Mirko Krokop in the UFC? Because he was riding a three-fight losing streak, and even at that point, he was in his late 30s. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was the end. I thought that was, okay, you know what? You had your run. You had your prime, uh, especially in pride. You've come over to the UFC. You're, you're just not – you don't have that – what we, we perceived back then as that killer instinct anymore to set up that right kick or that left high kick. Uh, you know, the moniker that he used all the time, the catchphrase, you know, right kick to the hospital, left kick to the uh, cemetery or, or vice versa. I forgot which one it was, but he didn't have it anymore. Right. And he was just getting dominated by the UFC heavyweights. And it was, there was always that, you know, the mentality back then was, you know, we want to see your fighters versus our fighters because it was so big and the UFC was building and building and building and building well, Pride had to, you know, went through that whole debacle back in the day that now the fighters needed somewhere to go to. Let's bring them over to the UFC. They came to the UFC and they weren't winning. And, and Krokop was getting, you know, like you said, de- demolished. And I thought that was it. No more done. And he had the resurgence. And the resurgence proved otherwise. And the resurgence continued up until his retirement, to be to be quite honest. Like, he, he again, went ba- he went away. He went to IGF. Inoki's company. He lost to Alexi Olenek, and that's the only MMA loss he's had since his UFC run. That's it. And Alexi Olenek is still competing at the top levels of the UFC. He beat Satoshi Ishii a couple times in a row and got back into the UFC, but it was for one fight. But it was against Gabriel Gonzaga. Yeah. And that comeback and win with those elbows was something special. What happened afterwards was him failing a drug test but man, that is outside of the drug test. You can't think of a better way to end, realistically, Krokop's UFC story, can you? I mean, three three runs, and he finally beats the guy that derailed everything for him. Yes, it's the vengeance match, right? It's it's the one that you want to sort of 
go back and say, a lot of fighters always go through that, right? They want to know exactly how do I get, how do I avenge that one loss or that second loss or whatever it is, right? And he was able to do it. So um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's actually fun. I'm actually enjoying reminiscing about Krokop's career right now. It's actually fantastic. Yeah, the, the GSP one did so well last week. I thought, I think whenever somebody retires, we're going to do these deep dives, especially considering that you've, you've covered them for so long and you have such a connection. Well, after that UFC run, he wasn't done. He came over to Ryzen and had, quite frankly, a really, really great couple of years. Beat King Mo, beat Alec Bari. Uh, he, he was finishing people, Joe. I mean, like, with arm triangles. <laughs> yeah, and he predicted those before the fight. I'm going to yeah. do that. I mean, when, when he told Frank and I that, you'll see, I'll get the takedown, and I'll get that submission. And, and when he did it, I think you can hear me when I'm calling it. I'm just kind of like, what the heck? Like, it was just insane, so it was awesome. And it, it wasn't just that. Leading up to his UFC run, he was kickboxing again, and he was doing good. He was beating Ray Steffo and Darrell Miller. Uh, the only person that he lost to was Remy Bojanski, uh, via majority decision. Now he had that 2012 K1 World Grand Prix title that was a little controversial at that. But uh, up until the Roy Nelson fight, we're talking 10 straight wins in MMA. 11 out of 12. In combat, out of his last 20 fights, Joe, the man had won 18 fights. Now you yeah. can say what you want about competition. You can say what you want about whatever else he was doing. That ain't an accident. You can't win 18 out of 20 on accident at heavyweight in combat sports. The man still had some talent. And I'm, uh, quite frankly, very sad to see him go. Uh, do you think he ends up in the UFC Hall of Fame? Oh, wow. Because um, in the WWE scope of things, they put a lot of people in there that maybe aren't known for their WWE accomplishments. I could see him going maybe into that pioneer wing. Yeah, I think you're right because his UFC career wasn't the greatest, but his overall MMA career was fantastic, right? So how much credence are they going to put on that? Because it is, you know, considered the UFC Hall of Fame, not the MMA Hall of Fame. Because if there was an MMA Hall of Fame, we would have so many, so many fighters in there. Obviously, the Fedors, even the big John McCarthy's, right? Uh, but in terms of going to the UFC Hall of Fame, that's interesting. Even the Pioneer side, um, I'm going to hazard and say, yeah, they'll do it. I hope it happens. Um, Mirka Krokop is going to be missed. And it's a bummer that it ended this way. I'd like to see somebody go out on their terms, but um, he he is definitely going to be missed. We had UFC 235 this weekend. Now, I did a full podcast about it, but Joe, I, I kind of I want some of your thoughts on, on this event. It's hard to look at those prelims and be talking about much of anybody besides Johnny Walker. Holy crap, Joe. <laughs> well, there's a few things we can talk about on those prelims, okay? And Johnny Walker being one of them, and, and holy crap is one way of looking at it because that jumping knee was borderline ridiculous. Uh, I, I do respect the fact that – I don't respect it. I mean, he got injured in a celebration, which is insane. <laughs> um, but at some point, you have to like, – I, I even look – I look at Johnny Walker, and I look at his wins, and I look at how he's finished guys, uh, how he's done it, um, you know, with an elbow, with a spinning back fist, ending with punches, and then this flying knee in punches. And, you know, just you, you think to yourself, well, that was a fluke. Well, that was lucky. Well, not lucky, but yeah, he timed it well. But after a point, you're just kind of like, you know, his last three fights combined have been under three minutes. Like, 
he's, he's finishing dudes, right? And it gets to the point where you, you start looking at the rankings and you think to yourself, well, hold on. Like, is he that good? Is it a flash in the pan? But he's done it three times, right? And yeah. that's pretty damn impressive. So, um, you know, you, you still have to look at the quality of opposition, okay? Now, Khalil Roundtree is a bad man, okay? He's a bad man. Uh, but to finish him off in less than two minutes, that is pretty damn impressive. Uh, Justin Ledet, tough guy, tough guy, but again, 15 seconds, okay? So you think Misha, you know, Sirkinov would be that one guy that's going to be like, okay, you know what, enough's enough, get him down to the ground, take him there, and do not allow him to be explosive. But on the flip side, you've got Johnny Walker that says, oh, I know he's going to do that, but before he does it, he's going to get punched in the face, kicked in the mouth, and kneed in the, in the grill. So it's up to him to determine whether he's going to time that entry or not. Well, who won that battle? Johnny Walker. So you got to give Johnny Walker credit. It's, it's, it's damn impressive, and we'll see where it goes from here. Who do you see next for him? We have Kyler in the, the live chat speculating maybe Manoa. He's lost three in a row. I don't know if you want to risk that, putting a guy that is on such an ascent against a guy who's lost three in a row, but it's also a fight you could probably have co-main or main event a Brazil or UK show on ESPN+, and it do all right now. Johnny Walker's at that point. He's got an amazing amount of buzz right now i like the uh, jimmy manoa fight because again even though jimmy manoa was on that losing streak he does have name value right people do want to see him people want to see him compete and you know you're in for a gunfight whenever jimmy manoa competes and johnny walker would be more than happy to show up to a with a, with a you know bazooka like the guy's insane he's got a full arsenal of striking that jimmy manoa will have a lot of problems trying to deal with so uh, it's a cachet name it's a guy in the top 10 you know johnny walker right now is at 13 uh, and jimmy manoa was at top 10 you know, and I had this conversation, um, you know, at, at the, it's the I'll, I'll, I'll talk a lot about where I was on Saturday at the establishment uh, and with the friends that I was with and colleagues and um, stuff like that. But some of the stuff that I continue to bring up, uh, and this is a perfect example, Sean, and you and I have talked about it at length. The UFC, in my opinion, needs to cut their roster. I've said it a hundred times. Okay. They need to cut their roster and ideally only keep the top 15 fighters in each weight class. Because the importance of the top 10 then becomes serious. And a guy like Johnny Walker right now, correct me if I'm wrong, deserves a top 10 opponent. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy Manuel right now at number 10, technically speaking, has to defend the number 10 ranking. Johnny Walker goes in there, takes him out, drops Jimmy out of the top 10. And now Johnny Walker has a bullet or a bullseye on his back while he's continuing to try and move up and fight other guys. Right? Get rid of the guys and girls that are not in the top 15. That way, every single fight moving forward is relevant. Misha Sirkunov, big trouble. Rightfully in big trouble because he's number 15 today. I mean, even okay. if they kept the top 30, they would be slicing their roster by almost 40%. The, the reason why I don't like the top 30 is, you know, what does number 22 versus number 27 really mean? But what do you do whenever somebody else, like, you're going to have a whole lot of top 15s outside of the top 15. Like, you're, you're going to have to go out and sign people and... Well, you can, stuff. There, there's the ability of this. So Misha Sirkunov is our example, right? He's got to be able to some way, somehow get back into the top 10 and get himself out of the top 15. If for whatever reason he can't match up uh, with somebody in the top 10 and or somebody else in the top 15, you can sign somebody and say, here's your chance to make it to the UFC. You take out Misha Sirkunov, you're going to probably be number 15. Misha, you got to go. I don't think they want to leave that opportunity for Bellator and Ryzen and people like that to, to sign so many of their guys that were formerly top 15s. And, but I think and the value that. of their brand would drastically increase because every single fight would mean something in the UFC. 
Oh, I can tell you that that, that UFC 67 show that we were just talking about, yeah. nine fights. Right. Nine fights on that show. I had a ball watching. I couldn't even watch the prelims, but the prelims on that show had Frankie Edgar, Leoto Machida, Dustin Hazlett, who was something at one point, and even Terry Martin versus uh, George Rivera. Or Yeah, that was that was a fun one as well, but I would like to see the number of fights limited to nine or ten. That's not happening considering all their deals. Uh, and for some reason, <laughs> they throw their UFC uh, prelims on Fight Pass and, and nowhere else. Uh, there, there was, or at least for the pay-per-view, whenever um, I, I watched these prelims on Saturday, they're, they're, the ranked fights, there weren't a lot that stood out to me outside of Walker. Pedro Munoz, or actually not Pedro Munoz, sorry. Uh, got a little confused there. Zabit beat Jeremy Stevens. Everybody saw that coming. He did what we thought he would do. Cody Stamen and Alejandro Perez, not a lot. But there were two unranked fights. Uh, Chiasen dropping Mazzani. I thought Mazzani did what she had to do. It just wasn't good enough. And Diego Sanchez beating Mickey Gall. Man, was- Diego Sanchez, that was special. Again, it, it was one of those things, Sean, where I was sitting there watching going, this is a moment in time. This is not supposed to happen. He is the original winner of the Ultimate Fighter. People think Forrest Griffin. It's not. It's Diego Sanchez. He was the very first person to win the Ultimate Fighter. That was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Like To come in here and do what he did against Mickey Gall is something special. right? Uh, I don't know if, if Mickey Gall, what, what, you know, what was going through his mind or what happened leading up to that fight, but that was an ass whooping. That was an ass whooping. I mean, that final replay with the elbow landing on Mickey Gall's jaw and face, it was just like, I mean, you saw a vintage Diego Sanchez as if he hadn't been competing for that long. It was a new up-and-comer or a guy in his prime to do that against Mickey Gall, who, you know, who's made himself quite famous for his fight with CM Punk and, and other fighters of that nature. Diego Sanchez is, is looking damn good. And he made it clear, I don't have to cut much weight to get to 170. Now Diego Sanchez has sort of rejuvenated his career, and we all want to pay attention to when he's competing next because I don't know anyone that's going to say, man, I don't want to watch a Diego Sanchez fight. No, 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 now you do. Now you do. I loved it. I loved it. It was was great. He was one of my I got five on it picks. Nice. I didn't know how somebody could put Diego Sanchez with that much experience against a Mickey Gall with still that limited experience at, at such a – such a crazy line. I, di- I thought Diego Sanchez was going to win that. I, I often preface those. I got five on it picks, Joe, by saying, I'm picking the other guy to win, but these lines are too good to be true. I was picking Sanchez to win, and the line was too good to be true. Uh, also too good to be true was this Garbrandt Munoz fight, one of the best one-round Bantamweight fights I've ever seen. Uh, uh. Maybe, maybe not from a tactical perspective, because as it turns out, Cody Garbrandt does the same thing every single fight and loses the same way. But your boy picked Munoz, did I not? Yeah, you did 100%. 100%. And, and what, I gave too much what, credence, way too much what, credence. What, did I, what, what was it I said? I think I said something like, Munoz is going to get inside and clock him yeah. with a right overhand. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. I love it. He dropped. Cody Garbrandt not only dropped, got dropped in that fight, he dropped four spots in the UFC rankings all the way down to number six. This is a former champion the former champion of the division, who many of us had obviously tons of high hopes for back then. But for some reason, it's like you can't, you know, you can 
teach a fighter how to be a mixed martial artist, but sometimes you can't take that fighter out of that mixed martial artist. He's a fighter by nature and will just sit there and be more than happy to stand and trade uh, with anybody. And unfortunately, he's coming out on the losing end of it. He's got to stop doing that. He's got to go back to using more technique, being a lot more patient because, you know, look at, look at, look at what's happened to his career now, right? He's, he's just getting, he's dropping down the rankings. It's going to be much, much harder now. He's going to work way harder now uh, to, to garner a bunch of wins and to even get close uh, to getting the, the gold that was wrapped around his waist. He's on a three-fight losing streak. He loses the title, loses in the rematch, loses to a top contender. Three-fight losing streak, albeit... It's like most of the guys, like when we talk about Damian Maya as an example, he's lost to the top guys in the division. He's lost to the champion twice and a top contender. So that's kind of okay. It's kind of okay, but you're still in a three-fight losing streak. Can't happen. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with losing to Munoz, but there is something wrong with abandoning your game plan. This is not the fighter that beat Dominic Cruz. Not. So uh, Cody Garbrandt needs to fight somebody probably 10-ish. That area, Pedro Munoz needs a top five, I think. He said, also had uh, Wiley Zong defeating uh, Tisha Torres. I thought she looked very impressive. We'll see more out of her. But we saw an awful lot in a very short amount of time out of Ben Askren and Robbie Lawler. And I want them to run this back. I am not with Ben Askren saying, oh, man, I don't want to rematch. Tough shit. Rematch is happening. Gotta happen. Because Ben Askren shoots in and gets hit with a Kurt Angle Olympic slam by Robbie Lawler. Askren then applies a headlock. And, you know, I'm with Herb Dean to some degree. That arm dropped. When you let your arm drop like that, man, it says a lot. Now, Robbie Lawler, when his arm was grabbed, did react. He 100% did based on the footage that I saw. I think Herb Dean was doing it more as a formality than anything and got a bit ahead of himself. Herb Dean apologized afterwards. Um, what did you think of this? This was amazing. It was incredible. The ground and pound was sick. The slam was sick. The headlock was great. But I got they got to run this back. In my opinion, they should run it back. And I'll tell you a few reasons why. First of all, that ground and pound by Robbie Lawler uh, had the establishment that I was in going ballistic. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't think half the people really knew um, – I felt like in the room, because I, I did it at the table that I was at, but I felt that the MMA fans that were in the room that had casual fans with them were explaining who Ben Askren was and a lot of the situation of where he competed, why he's, you know, we've never heard of him in the UFC before and where did this guy come from? And people were explaining the feud he had with Dana White and whatnot. So uh, everyone knew who Robbie Lawler was. And then to see Robbie Lawler do that, everyone was like, yeah, see the UFC fighters, you know, you know Ben Askren has no business being in there. It was a big... Um, uh, a farce the whole time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time. He should never have been in the UFC, but the dude survived it. He survived bloody hell in there. Then he puts on the submission. Now, I want everybody that's watching live right now or listening later on to put yourselves into the referee position. Forget about Herb Dean. Forget about every referee that you've loved or hated over the years. Put yourself, you yourself, put your referee shirt on, put your referee hat on, and understand your job is the safety of the fighters. Make sure they're safe. Nobody, nobody dies in there. You've got a fighter now who basically expended all of his energy trying to finish somebody, wasn't able to do so, and now is fatigued or showing signs of fatigue. And now he has the guy that he beat up who's basically just turned around, zombied himself, and said, you know what? You're going to sleep, son. And he's got a bulldog choke on him. And as a referee, you know what a bulldog choke is. You know the pain and the pressure that can be applied with a bulldog choke. Now you're seeing a fighter who's fatigued and you're looking and saying to yourself, holy smokes, this guy's in big trouble, you know, and you see him defending it, but you start seeing that, okay, he's not moving. He's defending, but he's no longer scrambling or moving. You, at that point there, go on high alert. A referee will go on high alert. A smart referee will then go on high alert and start paying very close attention to the fighter potentially going out. Because Ben Askren was not, not at all releasing that hold. He was squeezing for dear life, knowing the finish was right there. Now you're sitting there, you're on high alert, and all of a sudden the fighter's arm, like you're ready to stop this fight. You're ready to find out, Robbie, you okay? Robbie, you okay? He's not replying. He's not replying because Herb asked. He's not replying. Then the arm that's defending drops. That is a sign of somebody going to sleep. Whether or not Robbie went to sleep or not, that is a sign a fighter has gone out. As a referee, it is your duty to go in there and stop the fight. He jumps in there. He stops the fight. Lawler wakes up. Or Lawler maybe was never out. It's not Herb Dean's fault. I don't fault Herb Dean on that one bit. So uh, to play devil's advocate, the... Only reason why I don't think – I think it was across the jaw as opposed to across the throat. And the only reason I think that is because I believe that Robbie Lawler or would have sat out if it was across the throat and would have tried to alleviate it that way. And when it's across the jaw, it's a little bit harder to do that because you're talking about your neck and your spine getting cranked as a result. But that squeeze that, that Ben Ashran has is insane. And he talks about how Dana White doesn't like him, and Dana White's like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, when you go out and you say, no, I've got no reason to fight Robbie Lawler again. Well, you do. Unless you're building the fight, which he is very good at. He's very smart about building the fight. This is immediately an an ESPN main event or a pay-per-view co-main event. Immediately. There is a story here now. You can build video packages. Oh, by the way, Joe, you have your main event for that show already. It's Kamara Usman versus Colby Covington because Kamara Usman's your new UFC welterweight champion after he 
jobbed out Tyron Woodley. And I understand Tyron Woodley. You knew he was going to say it eventually. Rematch, rematch. All these other people got rematches. Well, I'm sorry, my man. On paper, based on your reign, you deserve it, but not based on that performance in the cage. And a lot of those other people didn't either. And I personally would like that thrown out the door. It is not time for a Tyron Woodley rematch. Kamaru Usman won every second of that fight. You know Kamaru very well, Joe. Yeah, uh, I, I, I took a picture of the big screen that we had when he was there with his daughter uh, making his post-fight speech, and I sent it to him right away um, with a few funny quotes and choice words that only Kamaru and I understand. Um, uh, you know, He replied back, just smiling ear to ear. He's, he's still on cloud nine uh, and now has to read, you know, he's got to relook at his career now. He's the champion of the world. Okay, uh, and I'm, I'm really hoping that I get to see him uh, next week. I really hope he's my color commentator for uh, for the Titan Show because um, we're going to have some pretty crazy conversations. We're probably going to have a big dinner uh, and stuff like that. I'm very proud. It's it's my third sort of quote unquote friend that has become the welterweight champion of the world. <laughs> right, Carlos Newton, George St. Pierre, and, and Kobe Covington. Oh, yeah, no, uh, I, I don't know Kobe or Kobe. Excuse me. Um, I can tell you this. Kamaro is not a. I mean, you guys have all seen it. Kamaro does not like Kobe Covington one oh, of bit. Course. And it, it I, I mean, there, there's been some conversations him and I had, and he does not. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to repeat some of the words because there could be kids watching this show at the moment. But yeah, some of the choice words that, that Kamaro has for Kobe, uh, and I don't think it's, it's contrived. He wouldn't be contrived with me. He would love to get his hands on Kobe Covington. Uh, and I hope that fight actually does happen for Kamaro's sake, but it's a dangerous fight. Because Colby will bring the heat. Colby will bring the pressure. Colby will bring a lot to the cage to, to give Camaro some problems. But the fact that now Camaro's the world welterweight champion still blows my mind. Like it just completely, it's, it's, it's still, it, this is how I felt when George won the title and Carlos won the title. It's just, it's, I'm in awe, right? I'm, I'm, you know, you, you, it's one of those things when you look at a friend and you're like, dude, I'm like so proud of you. Like, holy shit, you did it. Like you actually did. You're and, the champion of the world forever. You'll be called champ, and in dominating fashion at that. Like Rory McDonald's the only person to win a decision over. <laughs> well, no, Jake Shields won one too, but uh, Woodley just got handled in a way that we've not seen in like the last four and a half, five years. It was unbelievable. And Usman versus Covington is the fight. Dana White knows it's the fight now too. And I thought it was very smart of Colby Covington to get himself out there. The bullhorn at open workouts, brilliant. That was smart. That was very, very smart. Like and it. you have this situation here. It is a new generation of welterweights. It really is. And uh, I'm excited to see it. And I'm also excited to see who Woodley faces next. Because it, it first off, it needs to be somebody he's never fought before. I, I think that is important. He should really fight somebody that um, he hasn't fought before. And at welterweight, he's fought Teal and he's fought Maya and Thompson and Lawler and a lot of these people. So I wouldn't mind uh, seeing him facing somebody like like a Leon Edwards or a Masvidal or Ponza Nibio would be a really good one. I, I would be open to those. But Woodley Covington, main event, Askren Lawler, co-main event. And then what I would do is put on a probably a an 8 to 15 ranked welterweight fight on there as well in case one of those falls out. That way in case Covington gets hurt or backs out. 
in case Usman gets hurt or backs out, you have an Askren or a Lawler that you can immediately slide up into that role. Uh, you've got a a top two fight on a card booked already, but uh, UFC 235, momentous in that, but also momentous in that John Jones broke a record for most uh, unbeaten consecutive title fights. He can't have the uh, consecutive win record because of that no contest, but he controlled and dominated Anthony Smith. Do you remember what I said, Joe, in my I got five on it picks last week when I picked Anthony Smith? I said, no. I said, I'm putting five on Anthony Smith just based on the fact that John Jones often doesn't know the rules. Yes, yes, you did say that. And that was damn close. And it almost happened. I was like, I'm not ruling out the fact that John Jones might get DQ'd in this fight. Now, first off, guys, we've been over this before. Soccer kicks are illegal. They're to the spine, to the balls, to the head. You can throw them elsewhere. But that knee was illegal in Vegas. And I I hate that that knee was illegal because it shouldn't be illegal. Uh, Both of Smith's knees were off the ground. But Jones did not follow the rules, and it almost cost him the title, Joe. Can you imagine? Because I, I mean, the fight wasn't overly exciting as is, and I. It's so weird. I don't know if it was the audio in the establishment that I was in, but it was. I felt like I was in Japan. It was so quiet in there, um, and and just it, it got you know it got boring, and then that happened, and I see all these faces, Sean, just all turned towards me, like what's going to happen? What's what's what does this mean? What does this mean? Right? And I and in my head, I'm like, uh, this dude potentially just lost his title. Like, how do you not know you cannot do that, John? Like, come on. I get you're in a fight and you you, you want to, you know, piece apart your opponent slowly but surely and eventually get that finishing blow, but you got to do it within the rules. Um, and, and, you know, I, the people that I was sitting with were like, oh, man, if I'm Anthony Smith, I'm in pain. I'm calling it. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'm the champion of the world. Things change. My life gets better. And I'm like, I don't think I would do that. You know, <laughs> like, I mean, I, I want to win the fight. I want to win the title by winning the title. You know, I don't want to win it by disqualifying myself or getting disqualified, the champion getting disqualified. That sucks because he asked, he handed his ass to me. Now, if we were in a yeah. back and forth fight and I was ahead and blah, blah, you cheated, you know what? Maybe screw you. I'm hurt, right? But I'm getting my butt handed to me and I'm going to win the title. I, 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 that, that's just not going to happen in that way. You know, there, you can be shady in one way, Sean, can't be shady in other ways. You know what I'm saying? So um, I thought for sure that was it. I thought that was it. He's going to lose the title. He's gone. He's going to lose the title. And another just crazy twist with John Jones. But in the end, it didn't happen. So craziness. Vintage John Jones performance. He's not finishing a lot of people these days. Uh, he did Cormier and Gustafson, but goes to the scorecards. Um, I admire the fact that John Jones wants to stay in his division and fight people in his division. You hear a lot of people talk about super fights, and he says, yeah, Brock Lesnar, sure. But he's not, he's not double, he's not champ, champ chasing. And he could, he could. If he decides tomorrow that he wants a heavyweight title shot, he's probably got it. And that's not something that he's after. So he's going to look to uh, fight people in that division. I've said it a million times, Joe. I like the way this light heavyweight division is going. I like it. And when I broke down the fight last week, I said that Anthony Smith had to get in John Jones's face early and let him know he was in a fight or else John Jones would control him. That is exactly what happened, and Anthony Smith said as much. Johnny Walker, when that time comes, I don't see Johnny Walker waiting around a whole lot. I see Johnny Walker going the John Jones route. I remember when John Jones stepped in the cage with Shogun, and some of the stuff Jones was throwing, I said, 
what? What are you doing against Shogun? I think that's what we'll see out of a Johnny Walker, or at least an attempt down the line. But it's looking good. You got Corey Anderson emerging. You have Luke Rockhold coming to this division. You have Anthony Smith still up there. You have Tiago Santos, likely the next in line. You have Ian Kutilaba. You have Dario Stasic. You have Johnny Walker. You have some good young names. I have not been this excited about the light heavyweight division in over a decade, Joe. Over a decade since the influx of pride talent came was the last time. Uh, what do you think about Tiago Santos as John Jones's next opponent? Because that looks like the way it's going. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think I'm on the flip side. I'm on the opposite side of yourself when it comes to this division, only because John Jones is the champion, right? Sure. There's lots of love for a lot of these fighters that are on there, but you've got a situation where the champion in the division is arguably the pound for pound best in the sport, right? So it doesn't matter what's happening below there. There's a very good chance none of these guys can even hold a candle to John Jones, right? Tiago Santos could be next, uh, and we all know Tiago Santos, you know, just is, is one of my favorite fighters. He's fantastic. He's an absolute disaster, as is Johnny Walker, right? Uh, those two are, are destined to meet at one point. Um, but you, you go up and down these rankings, and you think, you know, which guy can actually beat John Jones? And I can't put a finger on any of them, right? So while the division below the champion is 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 very nice and can sort itself out in so many different ways, the bottom line is at the very top is a champion that is just too dominant for the division. Now, you, 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 if you were to move John Jones's name and slide it into the heavyweight division, look at how many fights there are, right? There are so many fights for John Jones. I would love to see him go to heavyweight, right? Even if he gets an immediate shot at Daniel Cormier, should he even become the champion or not become the champion? At heavyweight, John Jones has a boatload of fights there. Yes, Huge he does. amount of fights. Tons, big name fights, all crazy main events, but... It is one of those situations where I'm like, ah, well, we'll see what's going to happen. I like fresh, man. I like fresh. And while I think Ferguson should be getting that title shot at lightweight, he, he turned it down. Holloway in a title match there is fresh. You have Bantamweight, Marias against Dillashaw. That's fresh. At middleweight, you have Gaslam and Asanya, a couple of other fresh names, Jones and Santos, uh, Covington and Usman. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the direction that this is going, and I'm tired of the endless rematches. The, the, I, I hate it. I can't stand that. By the way, guys, uh, I want to thank all of you who joined us on the UFC 235 live coverage. Over 1,500 comments. I'm gonna awesome. I'm gonna work on fixing the uh, talking MMA standings. I know I was a little off on those. Got some help with that. Uh, but we'll get those straightened out and have uh, updated standings posted very soon. UFC Wichita is this weekend. (laughs) But before we get into UFC Wichita, uh, it was announced, I think, yesterday that Jose Aldo is going to face Alexander Volkanovsky at UFC 237 in Curitiba, Brazil. I like this fight. It is number four Volkanovsky against number one Aldo. Um, if Aldo beats Volkanovsky, I think Dana White should maybe break his rule, the same rule that he broke with Daniel Cormier, and say, hey, buddy, let's maybe stick around a little bit longer. What do you think, Joe? Uh, I think it's a great fight. I'm looking forward to seeing that fight, that's for sure. But if he wins, that's, uh, you're like, oh, man, another case where you know <laughs> you've lost to the champion twice. They're treating him like he's hanging around yeah. beyond that. And hey, here's the thing, Joe. 
there's a good chance, a real good chance, that at the end of this year, Jose Aldo is competing for the vacant UFC featherweight championship. Or there's a very good chance Max keeps that title. If he becomes the champ, Jose Aldo says, you know what? I want to rematch that guy so bad, I'm going to 155. I would, I would love to see him at 155. Uh, if not for how good he looked at 145 against Moicano, but got a lot of respect for Jose Aldo and what he's doing. He wants to fight in Brazil. He wants to fight until the end of this year. But as I mentioned, UFC Wichita this weekend, and uh, we have a ton of interviews. James Lynch did a great job. He talks to Coach Jim West about Marion Renault's fight. Um, talks about or talks to Marion Renault herself, Alex Morono, Curtis Melender, the co-main event, Grant Dawson. Lots of uh, good fights over here. But on the prelims, we have Alex White a minus one fifty-five, Dan Moretta plus one thirty-five. You have Alex Morono a minus one eighty-five, Zach Atau a plus one sixty. Luis Smoka, who has been on a resurgence, and Matt Schnell have a pick em. Smoka is a minus 115. Schnell is a minus 105. Then we have Grant Dawson, a minus 170. Juliana Rosa, a plus 150. Anthony Rocco Martin, minus 190. Sergio Marias, a plus 165. Uh, out of those fights in particular, before we talk about some others, do any stand out to you with any value, or is there anybody you're particularly looking forward to seeing compete on this card out of those I mentioned. Well, you mentioned the Murano uh, auto fight, right? Uh, yes. And, I, and Zach Atau is, I believe on his last fight of his UFC contract. Yeah. I, I, I like that fight, man. I don't, I mean, people are like, huh? No, I like that fight. I really like that fight. That's the fight. I'm kind of, I mean, there's a lot of good scraps here. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that's the fight I'm kind of paying very close attention to. There's also a fight that I think a lot of people should pay attention to. One of my, I got five on it picks just because it's, it's at heavyweight, ma'am. Maurice Green, a plus 175. Jeff Hughes, a minus 210. I know the UFC likes Jeff Hughes an awful lot. But then you get into the, some fights with, with some more familiar names. Amari Akmadov, a minus 130. Tim Boach, a plus 110. Considering that Tim Boach makes a fight out of anything, <laughs> I think that line is about right where it is, where it should yeah, be. True. Um, we, I, I, the only, I mean, and look, sorry, I'll, I'll be quick. In looking at that fight there, um, is is he really a submission threat? I mean, Tim Boach only generally loses the guys that can really submit him, technically speaking. All right, so uh, I think we're going to see a, a, just a crazy, crazy battle here. So I'm looking forward to it. Also, I should mention the Smoka fight is again at bantamweight, much like his fight in China in November. So you have that. Then you have Marion Renault against Yana Kunitskaya. Kunitskaya uh, won two out of three. She had that fight with, with Cyborg last year. So. A lot of people forget she's a former title challenger, technically. Marion Renault has one loss in her last five fights, but 41 years old, you always got to wonder when that button is pushed. It's something that we talk about here a lot. And uh, how do you think this one goes, Joe? I think it's a good scrap. I mean, the, the fight that she did lose was uh, was against Zingano, who I want to talk about in a second. Um, and it went to the decision. Right, so it went the full distance, which means she still got the juice. So good for her, right? She can still, uh, you know, she can still compete. I like the scrap. Uh, at the same time, like you said, people do forget about the fact that Yana was a former title contender, right? Uh, albeit uh, she did lose to to Cyborg in the first round, and then you know she she went the decision with Lena Landsberg, who many people think shouldn't even be in the UFC. Yeah. So it, it 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 does have the potential to be a boring fight. It does have the potential to have a finish. Very, very quickly. So it's one of those things where 
No, we got to just let them go through. I do want to ask you a question, though, regarding Katzengano. Um, I think you mentioned it last week. Was it last week or just in general how, you know, it, it's open season on eye pokes? Yeah. Dude, you can't say that. You can't say that, woman. You can't because now every commissioner, referee, and blah, blah knows you said it. And if you do yeah. it, you're out. You're gone. You're disqualified. You're done. I, I like the aggressiveness we've seen lately. John Jones had two points taken from him for the knee. Good. Good. We saw a fence grab get an immediate point deduction recently. I love it. Good. These people know the rules. And if they don't, whose problem is that? Well, it's going to be their problem. That's what I like. Uh, Marion Renault, a plus 155. Yana a minus 175. Yeah, Benil Dariush and Drew Dober. Drew Dober, a plus 165. Dariush, a minus 190. I'm just going to go ahead and say that this has the makings of one of those fights that could be a sleeper that ends up being really good, or it could be just absolutely miserable. And Dariush, I feel like his back is still against the wall a little bit. He beat Tiago Moises in uh, November, but he was winless in three fights in a row before that. Drew Dober, on the other hand, is not. Drew Dober quietly has won five of six. These are two people in way different points in their career. And it feels like Drew Dober has been around a lot longer than he has been. And he was a guy who I think only had one win in his first five fights. He was lucky to stay around. And boys, he had a career resurgence. I'm picking him to beat Dariush, who I think is, he peaked a little bit early. Yeah, the whole Dariush thing has many of us thinking, what happened? What's wrong, right? And I think your assessment of that he peaked too early might be correct. Like, is that it? Like, you, 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 you were considered a top contender. You were it's, almost in the title mix. He beat Miller, Johnson, uh, Magomedov, James Vick. Like, he beat those guys. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to figure. I think. Car- I mean, Pereira, he beat him too. I forgot about that one. Yeah, it's just it's weird. So again, it's one of these fights that I enjoy watching because there's a lot of questions heading into them and you think to yourself okay well what if this happens or that happens or what what will it really mean if if Dariush loses and what does it mean when you know if if Dober wins and vice versa right like a lot of questions are going to be answered with this fight here so I'm definitely looking forward to it from a name value perspective this is a one fight card from a quality perspective it's a lot more than that Ben Rothwell Blagoy Ivanov I like that fight I would like it a lot more if it isn't like the Ivanov Dos Santos fight, which was an absolute stinker, but I am I am of the belief that Ivanov belongs. Rothwell fighting for the first time in three years yeah. after USADA battles, and before he went away, he got beat by uh, Dos Santos as well. But had won four of his last five. You got to throw that out the window when you've been gone for three years, though. It's it's clean slate here. Who do you see winning this one? Ivanov is a Minus 130, Rothwell plus 110, considering the nature of heavyweights, I think that, that line is appropriate. Yeah, and but there's also a five-year uh, youth advantage that's going to go to Ivanov, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at Blagoy and saying, you know what, uh, I think he's going to have the speed. You know, Rothwell's going to have the power, but, you know, he's never, ever been accused of having fantastic footwork other than his post-fight celebrations, which are beyond epic. Um, I mean, I, I've known Ben for a while, but I think, you know, at 37 – Having not competed in three years, it's not like you're, you know, you're 30 years old having not competed since you were 27. You're still young. Uh, I think uh, age may catch up with him in this fight here, especially not being as fresh. Um, you can do all you want in the gym. It, it doesn't, it doesn't always translate correctly 
um, when you're actually in the octagon. So uh, I'm going to go with Ivanov in this one. Another good fight that's likely to happen. <laughs> minus 190 Tim Means against plus 165 Nico Price. This is like the type of fight you throw on one of these ESPN shows and you say, feast your eyes. This is going to be a banger. Uh, I Nico Price will be one of my I got five on it picks just because of his his ability to finish in rounds one and two. But man, Means has been no, – he can weather some of that stuff. He is a crafty veteran. But I think Nico Price is going to do it. I think he's a little bit more consistent than Tim Means. Yeah, I, I'm going to go the opposite. I mean, Tim Means right now could potentially be in a four-fight win streak because two of those losses to Sergio Moraes and Bilal Muhammad were split decisions. So they could have went the other way. You add that to the Ricky Rainey victory in his last fight, and then the Alex Garcia, uh, which was kind of got me by surprise, the Dirty Bird, man. He could be in a four-fight win streak here. So I'm, I'm actually going to lean towards Tim Means in this fight. Curtis Melender, who uh, we interviewed on Fightful, thanks to James Lynch, is really looking to crack that top 15. And he gets an opportunity against number 13, Aleski, or Alicia Zaleski dos Santos. And he's actually favored. He's a minus 125. Uh, Zaleski is a plus 105. Now, when you look at dos Santos, he's won six in a row in the UFC. Lyman Good, Sean Strickland, some smoking okay names. But Melinder, man, he stepped in and he's fought Tiago Alves and Max Griffin and Bahada Zada. Like, he's fought some real good names. This is not the same guy that I watched get choked out twice in a couple months in Bellator. Yeah. This ain't him. And when even when he stepped into Bellator, he was fighting some guys that were a little bit out of his, his depth. I mean, he had only fought in one promotion before Bellator. Only one. And he, he went back to the, the drawing board. He got some experience, went into LFA, changed his career, and now he's beating guys. I think Curtis Melender can uh, grind him out. But from a talent standpoint, this is an underrated fight. Uh, how do you see this one going? I think the lines are bang on. Minus 125 for Melender, plus 105 for uh, Dos Santos. Uh, I'm leaning towards Melender in this fight here. Obviously, I'm not going to put five on it because he's a minus 125 favorite. Uh, but I think it's going to be fantastic. I think these guys are going to showcase some really good mixed martial arts. And, you know, Melender's no joke, man. Melender is just one of those dudes where it's like, all right, referee, move out of the way. We're going to get this done. I mean, that I, I enjoyed the Tiago Alves fight, that's for sure. Uh, I know it was a KO in the second round, but it says a lot. Uh, I remember the Max Griffin fight when we all broke it down at UFC 26. We were concerned, and he proved us wrong, right? He proved us wrong. You know what? I can go, I can go the full distance with these guys. Uh, and then the Bahadurzada fight, which was weird uh, in general, but he beat him, right? So. I'm with Curtis in this one. Main event, you have Derek Lewis, who is a uh, plus 180 against Junior Dos Santos, a minus 220. How do you break this one down, Joe? It is what it's going to be. Yeah, Dos Santos is going to try to pepper him. Yeah, he'll stay away. He'll try and stay away from the power. And like you said, pepper him, work, work, work slowly, in and out, in and out, like Junior always does, and just go in there uh, and, and try and go for the finish. The beauty... Uh, of of his opposition and Derek Lewis is you can never count him out ever count him out so this thing can go five rounds it can go one round you can never blink in a Derek Lewis fight and you know that you know Junior DeSantos um, you know sometimes if he's under pressure can not just fold he can fade right so anything can happen in this scrap here this is going to be a fantastic scrap and it's going to say a lot because Derek Lewis is number three right now and Junior DeSantos is number eight you take out the number three guy. Hello. Yeah, especially considering 
Heavyweight's a little bit different now. Miocic hasn't fought. We'll see how that goes. Now it's time for my UFC Wichita. I got five on it picks. Reminder, you really only got a hit on one of these to make your money, but let's take a look. I've got uh, Maurice Green, a plus 175. Jeff Hughes, a minus 210, simply because it's a heavyweight fight. There is really no reason beyond that. I also have Nico Price, who is a plus 165. Tim Means is a minus 190. Nico Price can finish fights standing or on the ground. He's uh, got a little bit of an advantage there because I think Tim Means has been a little inconsistent of late. But, man, this is not a gimme by by any stretch of the imagination because Tim Means will make it a fight all the way through. And then I'm going to go with Derek Lewis, a plus 180, just because he's Derek Lewis and he makes a habit of that. However, I think that Dos Santos is probably going to box him out of his boots. But at plus 180, I think there's as much value on uh, – Derek Lewis as almost anybody else. To be quite frank, I think that Derek Lewis is the second big, or I think he's the biggest underdog on this show. So the lines here are pretty close across the board. If you want a bonus one, I would go Marion Renault plus 155 against Yannick Kunitskaya, but UFC Wichita, join us live. Uh, we will be covering this show next Tuesday. I will not have a live post-show podcast following that. Uh, I may do a quick recap following day but joe what do you got going on this week well same old same old but uh as i mentioned to you off air uh before i came on uh and signed on i've got a uh, eight-year-old who's actually home right now he's not feeling well so i've got to go uh tend to that and he's got soccer tryouts so we're pick- i'm picking my new team uh for the summer over the next next uh two days and two days next week so Hopefully he gets better. I know he's the coach's son, guys. You're going to say he automatically has a slot. No, he's got to earn it. He is one of the top guys. But, yeah, Coach Joe's in full effect uh, right after this, bro. So, Guys, thank you all so much. Reminder, we are on podcast platforms everywhere. iTunes, Stitcher, uh, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify. You can download it at FightfulPods.com. Spread the word. We are, Our MMA site is still growing, and uh, we could always use your help. Word of mouth is very important. Leave a thumbs up on this video. Fightful. Subscribe.